0: Hello, you're listening to the Giving Thought Podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank, Giving Thought, in which we look at big issues and themes relating to philanthropy and the work of civil society. I'm your host, Rod Davis. This is episode 27, and good news for all of you, it's another interview episode. So this week, it's a chat with Rachel Rank, who is the chief executive of 360 Giving, Now, 360 giving is a project here in the UK that I've been aware of for quite a while and quite a big fan of um, trying to get uh, foundations and other grant makers to adopt an open data approach to to the information they have on their their grants. And they've been doing some really interesting work and had some great successes, um, as you'll hear in, in the conversation. Um, And Rachel and I had a good chat about the work she's been doing and some of the the challenges they've found and what she feels some of the opportunities are going forwards Uh, and touching on kind of what the wider move towards open data and transparency means um, for the philanthropy and foundation sector and also some of the challenges that might be uh, coming down the line in terms of questions around data ownership and how we use data so uh, hopefully you'll enjoy that. Um I should just flag up uh before we go into it that it it wasn't necessarily the greatest sound quality Rachel was um recording it in an office so occasionally there are sort of charming background noises of somebody typing and a bus but I think those always add flavor and a sense of terroir uh to the to the interview so um hopefully you can bear with those and I've done my best in terms of sound editing to to minimize them anyway. But without further ado, let's get into the interview and I will return at the end just to do a little bit of housekeeping uh, and let you know where you can find out more. So let's go. Great. Uh, Hi, Rachel. Thanks very much for agreeing to to come on the podcast. Um, Maybe the the best place to start is just for you to say a bit in your own words um, kind of about who you are and what your background is and a bit about 360 Giving and what the the aims of the organisation are.
1: Hello, Rodri. Thanks for having me on. My name's Rachel. I'm the CEO of 360 Giving. We were founded by philanthropist Fran Perrin, who runs the Indigo Trust, one of the 18 Sainsbury's family charitable trusts. And I started working at the organisation in 2015. We're now a team of five and we have opened up over £24 billion worth of grants data in the last two and a half years. So we're really excited to talk about the work that we're doing on open data and data sharing for philanthropy
0: and And, in terms of how the the project operates, what you know who are the organizations that you've been targeting in terms of opening up their data, and what kind of data is it that you've been trying to encourage them to share?
1: So our focus is on opening up uh, UK grants data. And when we talk about grants data and grant making, we mean any organisation that makes a grant. So that's central government, local government authorities non-departmental public bodies, such as the lottery funders, the Arts Council, but also charitable trusts and foundations and corporate foundations. So the full gambit of grant makers we work with, and we work with them to open up their spending data, their grants data, in an open comparable format. So that's literally just using a standard spreadsheet template and making sure people are putting the same data in the same columns so it can be compared and accessed
0: more easily. And that immediately sort of raises two questions in my mind. One, that people who aren't kind of aware of the background to the whole open data movement might not be aware of. Can you just give a sense of what the current situation was or, or was like before people like you came in and started trying to make it a bit more consistent just to show how necessary it is?
1: Yeah, it's a really idea so the analogy i use is think of it as books in a public library all ordered in the same way so when you go into a library and you want to look for an agatha christie book you know to go to fiction and to the section that starts with authors whose surnames begin with c if you were looking for grants data you're interested say in funding to women and girls um, or funding to the northeast it would be very hard to go and find that information in the same way. You'd have to go to several different websites and be quite a sophisticated data analyst to get the different data in different formats, scrape it, compile it, and put it in a single comparable format that you could then use to do that analysis. So what we're doing is is opening up that data in a way that means you can go to the the bit you need quite quickly and easily and, and find the information you're after removing all that time it takes just to get the information and scrape it and, and prepare it. We want to move that process forward more quickly so you can do the analysis, the reading, and, and find out the information you need to make decisions and find out who else is funding the stuff that you're interested in. So before we were founded, there wasn't one place you could go and get all this information and do quick searches. But now, because because we've opened up this data in in... In an, in an open format. It's literally just Excel spreadsheets, but it's under an open license so anyone can access and, and use and reuse the data and build tools and platforms off it. So you can go to one place and get this information and find that data very, very quickly. And, and before we were founded, you couldn't do that. So it's a really simple idea, um, but of course, what we need is the data. So our big task now is to build the data set we've already got. There are over 70 funders sharing their data with us, but we want to get to 80% of all funders sharing their data by 2020. And I'm confident we'll get there. We've had great buy-in so far.
0: That's great to hear. Um, just, just in terms of kind of where where the initial motivation for for getting this this project off the ground um, lay, were, who who was the target audience at least in the short term in terms of opening up that information? Was it other grant makers initially, or um, kind of individual donors or third parties who could then build platforms aimed at those different audiences? Or were you trying to kind of make sure it worked for all of them?
1: It, it, it is all of them but actually you're right that primarily it, it, it's it's grant makers themselves who are our primary audience and, and I think are the potentially the biggest beneficiaries of this data so Fran Perrin when she she was revisiting the strategy for Indigo Trust was trying to find out who else was funding what they fund and she actually found that really difficult to get that information herself as a, as a grant maker and felt that she was giving in the dark, she couldn't see who else was funding what they fund, where the gaps and overlaps were, and where she could give her money to make the most difference. And she was really keen to to get that information, so spent a lot of time speaking to organisations, lots of coffees, lots of meetings, but just felt there must be an easier way to do this, a quicker way to do this, and finding out about organisations that perhaps you don't know existed or don't have access to and can't go and have that meeting with. How do you unearth those organisations and that are actually part of your community, but perhaps we don't have a personal contact? So, so primarily our, our target in these early years has been trusts and foundations and other grant makers who hold that data because we want to get that data from them. But we also want to know how they use data to inform their own giving. But also we know that fundraisers are desperate for this data and they, and they love being able to see who else has been funding what it helps them save money and wasted time and effort applying to funders that aren't relevant or helping them target their proposals better. So it is It is both those audiences, but it's also the tech community who we want to build tools and platforms off the data. They're the people that can turn this raw data and spreadsheets into interesting tools and platforms that are a lot more accessible for non-tech experts. Most people don't want to look at raw data. They want some nice, easy front-end stuff so you can... A bit like Google, you know, you could just search the data very easily with a front-end tool and not have to necessarily dive deep into all the raw spreadsheets.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think particularly if in the future we're talking about individual uh, donor audiences and particularly, you know, at a more mass market level, I absolutely don't, you know, nobody's going to be downloading CSV files and looking through, <laughs> through spreadsheets to do that. You need to build some sort of user interface yeah. on there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't like looking through spreadsheets.
0: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I have a team that
1: loves doing that, but actually, we built, we built a platform called GrantNav that we launched in September 2016, and um, the Esme Fairburn Foundation funded us to build that platform, and that that was a huge success. And, and literally, you can, you can find in three clicks data on, um, you know, giving to a certain sector or region just by three simple searches, and that that just saves hours and hours of time analysing raw data. So there are there are tools that we've built and platforms that have been built by other organisations that use the data. And that for me is is the use the really useful bit is is making it easy for non experts to access that data and feel confident using data more in their work. That's a big aim in our in our work as well, is making people feel comfortable about taking a more data driven approach to their work.
0: Mm. And In terms of how the the sort of process of getting uh, buy in from you know the people who you want to use the platform and the, and the system but also the ones who you need to open up their data how how kind of responsive and positive have you found both the the potential customers and the people you need to open it up, and what are some of the main challenges you found in kind of winning that argument?
1: I'm pleased to say, actually, we, we've been pleasantly surprised that people have been really welcoming of the initiative, um, and it hasn't been a hard sell. Lots of trusts and foundations have, have joined us. Paul Hamlin was a very early supporter. The Paul Hamlin Foundation shared their data very early on. Big Lottery Fund, um, Sporting, Sport they've recently shared all their data going back to 2009. Um, some, some really big foundations, Comic Relief, shared their data very early on for us to just tested this idea and you know, it was it possible and others were quick to follow them so you know it turns out that i don't think it was a big push that was needed the door was already open to have this conversation and lots of funders have uh, already were collaborating and sharing information informally and we've just helped perhaps formalize that for some of them um and and there are others that we we are confident will follow and i think perhaps some of them they're a bit more cautious because maybe they're they're not so confident in the quality of their data. So we often find some reason, some, some factors that um, delay organisations from engaging with us is perhaps they're looking at their database or transferring from one grant management system to another. So they'll often release their data as part of that wider review process that might take a bit longer. Or they're looking at their strategies. So they want a bit of time to, to, to finish that work before they share some data with us. But usually we don't find it's it's a, the political cell that's an issue. It's, it's perhaps more of a technical issue that that um, can cause delays. And it, and it usually is related to either mixed quality data historically or transferring from, from one system to another and they, they tie it in with that work. And then another reason is often just staff time and capacity. So some organisations, particularly smaller grant makers, um, they may not have a designated data analyst or database manager to lead this work and be part of someone's wider role. So it's just about helping them uh, make the time to, to do the work. So there's, there's a there's a task for us there to make it as, as easy as possible to share the data. And we provide pro bono support to organisations to help them open up their data to try and take the pain out of publishing. But we hope to make that easier in the future by building... More tools and platforms that help check data quality and a toolkit that guides organizations through the process so people can feel a bit more confident working on their own and, and not need so much handholding from us in the future.
0: That's really interesting so are you saying that because it from the outside I would have had the perception that at least in a reasonable number of cases a big barrier would have been just the cultural one that you know there's a sort of data is private by default even if people don't necessarily know why and telling people to open up their data and publish it um you know unless they can be convinced of that would be be quite difficult but actually you're saying that hasn't so much been the problem it's more just the kind of technical side of of yeah
1: in my my experience and i was Hmm. and i would agree with you that was what I was expecting, some of these organisations are de facto quite private, you know, it's, it's private wealth that they're giving away and they're reporting that to the Charity Commission and Companies House, but, you know, I, I thought that maybe that would be a barrier as well, but it, it really hasn't been, actually. And if you look at lots of grant makers' websites, lots of them are already sharing all their grants on their website or in their annual reports. Um, so actually, it's, it's not a political barrier. It, it, it has been more technical in terms of, training people up on the standard formats that we've developed, how to share that data, helping them with data quality, particularly maybe in the past they weren't collecting charity or company numbers consistently, so helping them backfill some of that data um, and helping them see the potential of how they could use the data for their own work. But actually, if you look at lots of grant makers' websites, they're already, sh- they're already sharing what grants they're making. But if they're doing that in different formats and different ways on on 70 different websites, it's really hard for you to find out who else is funding what then. So by putting it in one place, we're essentially developing a one-stop shop. So you're putting it in one place where everyone can find that data very quickly. It makes it much easier. So the the push really hasn't had to be so political. And anyway, with the government and local authorities, they're used to the, the public scrutiny and they're used to... Access to information requests. So, with the government, it's quite a different conversation to the, the conversation we have with trusts and foundations, where government they are used to having to, to provide this information anyway. Local authorities have had to share all their spend data for every purchase over £500 as part of the local government transparency code. So, for them, it's been more of a, a pitch about why do it in the standard open format that we've developed they're perhaps sharing all that data in a PDF or in their in, in an Excel spreadsheet on their local authority website. For us, it's been about showing them if you put it in one place, you can see what other local authorities are doing. So, for example, in Greater Manchester, you've got 11 local authorities. Wouldn't it be useful to have all their grants data in one place so you could see across Greater Manchester who's spending what and how that fits together? So it's quite different conversations with local authorities and government compared to trusts and foundations, just because of the, the legislation that's in place.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because, I, cause I guess one of the things is particularly on the trust and foundation side. You know, those those institutions have for a long time, you know, suffered criticism in one way or another about perceived lack of transparency or openness, or you know, the fact that people felt they had a, a responsibility to say what they were doing with money that was. Uh, partially tax subsidized or receive tax relief and these, these kinds of things and I guess you know what you're doing is just a specific project designed to solve a problem pragmatically by bringing together some of that data and making it usable but do you do you see yourselves as kind of fitting within a wider move towards open data more broadly and kind of do you do you position the organization as such or see that you're trying to drive wider change or do you just sort of get on with what you get on with and and hope that you know that's that stuff happens anyway
1: yeah that's a great question i think i think if we were just to try and do what we're doing i think we would struggle perhaps to have the longer-term impact we want so we have we have to engage more broadly as with the open data community because there's a lot of learning coming out from other initiatives that is helpful for us as we think about our future strategy so open contracting Um, we we engage closely with them. They're opening up government contracts and they have a lot of learning on data quality and formats and what's useful for people to access that that data that's being shared. And the International Aid Transparency Initiative focuses on funders that provide international development assistance and and we've got a lot of learning from them about data formats and how to make the publishing process easier. So we, we very much engage with other open data initiatives. But the UK Trusts and Foundations may not be aware of that, and I would argue they don't necessarily need to be. As long as we make sure that we are getting that learning and engaging with those communities and thinking about some of that, that bigger picture stuff on open data and, and feeding that into our strategy, that's important. But we do just need to plug away at opening up the data. And, and we're very pro-transparency, and, and we think that's important, but we're not a transparency campaign. We're asking for a very specific data set, which is grants data, to be shared, and we want to know about user need linked to that. Um, otherwise, I, I think there will be uh, a gap between opening up the data and the data being useful and used. It's got to be used to drive the data quality forward and keep the data flowing. Otherwise, there's a danger we become a, a tick box transparency exercise. And actually, there's lots of other data that you could argue organisations. should be sharing or they are sharing already that's useful in transparency that we're not necessarily asking for and that I think is a role for the Charity Commission, Companies House and others and and, and we again are speaking with them about what data they collect and in what format but we're not going to cover all those information items that I think some transparency campaigns might want to be covered but we're happy to complement that work and feed into it but there's a difference between collecting data on the ethnicity and makeup and age of your board versus what funding data you should share. And, and we don't expect to extend into that wider transparency discussion, but I think that is being covered by other organisations. In particular, I know ACF are doing a lot of work around this about their stronger foundations work, which I think will cover some of that, some of that transparency
0: stuff. That's really interesting. There's a a couple of things I want to pick up on there, actually, just picking up immediately on the last thing you were saying. I know I totally agree that there are elements of the sort of transparency people might want to see around things like board diversity and geographic location, perhaps that that you aren't necessarily going to cover. Are are there some other types of data that, that might be a sort of neater fit with your existing approach? I'm thinking here of things like increasingly data on the impact of grants as well as you know, so, I mean, obviously, that, that assumes a lot about, about the kind of consistency of social impact measurement, but assume that we've solved that problem somehow. It strikes me that and perhaps also data on um, kind of needs profiles, because that then starts to create quite an interesting picture about supply and, and demand um, that potentially could be incredibly powerful.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's important to emphasise that the, the perfect world of data doesn't exist. There's never going to be a perfect world of open data that meets everyone's needs and is produced on a timely basis. That's that's you know wonderful, perfect, brilliant data that everyone's happy with. So, you, so the the key to opening up information is you've got to start with what you've got, build from there, use it, and then improve the data by learning from using the data. Otherwise, it's just another data set that that, that people may not find useful and sits there but is never downloaded so we always say start with what you've got publish what you can and build from there and I think your point about impact data you're never going to get an agreed measure for social impact and and have a perfect data set around that so our standard schema the, the, the schema template that we use you can add on information items to it. So if people are collecting impact data and they want to share that, they can add that into their data set. But I don't think you're going to get agreement on, on what social impact data everyone should be collecting. But that, that can be fine. You could have organisations that are collecting social impact data sharing what they have, and people having access to that can be useful and help inform their decisions and discussions around what data they might want to collect. So we've made sure that the schema is flexible and you can add on different kinds of, of data and, and you can use you know different taxonomies for example if you want to again we're not going to prescribe about what taxonomies you should use um, and I don't think you'll ever get an agreement on on that either in the sector a bit like I think you struggle to get agreement on application forms but we, we do know that there are certain basic information items that every organisation is collecting that can be shared in, a, in an easy way so you know organisation name, amount given, what for, where to, how much, when it's being delivered and I think impact data could be added to that and, and that is something we'd like to get more data on and, and see people using it and what's useful. Um, that, that for me would be the big test for impact data is, is how is sharing this useful for other people who want to see this information.
0: And that, that leads me actually to the, the other thing I was going to pick on immediately was you made the point that actually in terms of the work you're doing, opening up the data is only really as useful as what people do with it. So there's no – I mean, opening up data in and of itself is seems nice, but it's not really going to go anywhere unless people it's are using it. It's first yeah. yeah, it's a first step. It's got to be a cycle. I have
1: this kind of mantra of publish, use, improve. So the, the, the big focus of our strategy at the moment in our – our kind of second, third year of operation is to get people to use the data and tell us if it's useful for them. And if it's not, we want to know that as well. We want to have a very honest conversation about what else would you like to have seen? Why doesn't it work for you? What information items are missing? So then we can then go back to to funders and say it would also be useful if you started collecting, for example, end beneficiary data. So we know that lots of people want to find out the impact of their grants and where they went to that means you have to collect data on the the location of end beneficiaries not just where the the organization that received the grant which might be a head office so there's a piece of work that I think is quite interesting there around um location data and and finding out where the money flows from end to end
0: and and in terms of that what are you finding so far and uh, when it comes to people using the data have you heard of them doing you know interesting things with it that are kind of making you confident that it's it's definitely finding the right audience.
1: Yeah, there's some really great examples. Birmingham City Council shared their data with us last year and they've done some really interesting work looking at um, their data in, in, within the city region. And that, that goes to my point about beneficiary location data. There are some organisations that have collected really good data on, on end beneficiary location. And, and that's really useful for the kind of analysis that, that Birmingham City Council and others have done Looking at what's going on in there you know, on their doorstep at to that ward level, so really kind of detailed level data. So you can then use that data level other data sets. That for me is the really interesting opportunity. Is you know, grants data is interesting in and of itself, but actually you can layer that with data such as indices of deprivation or where people live or where free school meal claimants are based or aging population or coastal populations, things like that, then you can layer the data in interesting and meaningful ways. And there are people who are starting to do that. We know that some place-based funders have been looking at who else is funding in their area. We're currently running a, a pilot project with Sussex funders looking at spending in Sussex and identifying gaps and overlaps. So there's some really interesting work that we're starting to do, and we'd love to do more of it looking at sectors and regions for me, I think picking, picking a particular place or a particular topic is where we can then make some inroads in the, in the usefulness of the data by asking specific questions of it. So we've also just started working with a group of funders, a data journey looking at statutory funding and being able to map that with other funding flows and, and data sets around what we know about a place. So I think we've got some really interesting stuff that will come out in the next few months from that project as well.
0: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I absolutely agree. I mean, obviously, to the to the extent where I did a guest blog for you saying that I think that what you're doing has real relevance to place space giving. So I think that's a huge area of, of opportunity. Um just picking up again on, on what people are doing now, I'm I'm really interested in, obviously, one of the things I'm interested in is kind of application of, of new technology and what might be coming slightly around the corner when it comes to, to philanthropy and the work of charities. Um, and it strikes me that particularly around something like machine learning, there's a huge opportunity to apply that within the sector to kind of make the allocation of funds more effective and, and rational or whatever you, you want to call it but that that requires huge amounts of data and that's always been traditionally a a massive stumbling block and that what you guys are doing all of a sudden, you know, uh, potentially opens up huge new opportunities. Have you had any interest from people looking at applying technologies and techniques like that to the the data that you're producing?
1: Yeah, and I think words like machine learning can scare people off a bit. Um, But actually, we do have some good examples of that. Nestor in particular have been um, talking about this and and, and looking at how you can use some automated modelling to help you with decision making and Nesta incubated us and are perhaps on the more kind of techie end of, of grant making in the UK but there are others who are starting to take um, perhaps a more data driven approach and, and looking at ways that they can do automated checks on their data to check that they are perhaps making decisions consistently and fairly so we're about to have a guest blog by Nick Perks from the Joseph Roundtree Charitable Trust, who was looking at um, amount awarded versus amount requested, and if they were being consistent in their decisions around how much they might award versus what they're asked for, so the percentage of the cut they might make. And I think that's a really interesting question, I think it's really interesting that Joseph Roundtree Charitable Trust picked that up themselves, that wasn't anything to do with us they just were asking themselves a question, are we fairly awarding people the amounts they asked for and if we're cutting it, by how much are we cutting it and does that vary over different times of the year or for various reasons? So it's that kind of checking, checking automated checks to see if human decision-making is being fair and consistent. So I think there are some opportunities around that, but you're right, we do need you need good data sets to do it but I think some funders have got their own data that they can start doing that with so you know I've been interested in exploring that with some of the, the big funders like Welcome and Big Lottery Sport England and Comet Relief who've shared in Welcome's case you know £6 billion of the grants with us there, there could be some really useful opportunities around machine learning there I think you've got a, a decent sized data set but I'd be interested in hearing what people want to ask of the data because I think some people might struggle to identify how they'd use machine learning to help them answer some of their questions. So I think there's a role for us and people like you there as well, Audrey, about how do we help the sector feel more confident talking about some of this new technology?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's definitely one of the things that gets said about machine learning in a lot of contexts is actually what it what it puts a huge emphasis on is the role of humans in coming up with the questions to to ask, because the you know the algorithms can kind of do the the crunching and the analysis, but unless they're told what they're supposed to be aiming towards, that's that's kind of pointless. So I guess that's that's what we all need to be doing: is thinking, okay, if we can do some exciting new things with this technology, what are the things that we would like to know that might move things forwards?
1: Yeah, people are scared of it. You know, you talk about algorithms and AI and blockchain stuff, and people are kind of, what is that? And we don't know what you know. We're worried. And actually, I would just bring in kind of the human angle to that and say, well, what what are the questions you want answered? And can some automated ways be developed to help us answer this in a way that's consistent and takes out unintended bias or human error that's, that you, know, you will just have because humans are humans? So we ran a, a quest for questions at the end of last year where we got 67 questions submitted as part of our challenge fund, questions that grant makers wanted answered using data. We've got some really interesting stuff in there that I think machine learning could help with answering. But there's there's one thing answering asking the question, but then people feeling confident about working with someone to help develop an algorithm to help answer that. I think there is a role for organizations that perhaps are more tech savvy to help act as a bridging agent with with grant makers to help them feel comfortable about how to approach that kind of work. Because I think it can feel quite alien at the moment and and there are some grant makers that are starting to do that and it'd be great to hear from them what they've learned and what they did and to share that with the sector because I think there is changes around the corner and I think people need to get more familiar with this work um, and see it as an opportunity uh, and how to engage with it and understand the kind of terminology and, and what the process involved with developing algorithms and how it can help support their work. At the moment I think there's a nervousness around that um, and it's probably seen as expensive and a bit too too untested at the moment. And, and my feeling is that's not the case. I think we could do some some very interesting stuff. Small small things that could really show some benefit. So Beehive, the Beehive Giving Platform, for example, um, that's being incubated by CAST, the Centre for the Acceleration of Social Technology. They they're using 360 Giving data in the Beehive platform to match. Grant seekers with the best potential funder, and that uses an algorithm in the data based on the, the person searching for the funding, answering a few basic questions about their organisation and what they're looking for. So there, that there is stuff happening already using 360 data, but you need to have someone who understands how to develop algorithms to help you do it. And I think that's possibly one of the biggest stumbling blocks, is that finding people to do that when I mean, you feel confident. How to commission them and what to ask them to do.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think there's a, still a lot to be done in terms of connecting the people with those skills with the ones who understand what the questions are. Um, and I think, you know, again, I, I think grant makers and funders could play a huge role in in kind of funding some of some of that work with a view to to the future. Um, But let's let's watch this space. Um, I'm aware I'm I'm taking up a reasonable amount of your time, so I just want to to throw in a couple of of questions towards the end, um, slightly kind of wider context ones. What one is obviously working on a project um, looking at the use of data and trying to kind of promote open data. It's an interesting time, I guess, in that there's all of a sudden a huge amount of focus on issues around data and data ownership and some of the kind of growing challenges of squaring people's desire to get the benefits of opening up data and personalization and better services. And then on the flip side, their awareness of what can happen if their data gets misused or if they're not aware what's being done with it. How how do you see some of those questions kind of you know applying to to your work and do you think over the the next few years you'll have to do a bit of a job in in trying to kind of navigate some of those challenges
1: yeah i mean that's a really timely question because we've had to, gdpr obviously has just been enacted recently and, and and we have had funders asking us about um data processing and and how long they should be storing data for and we've had to think about that ourselves as a, as a data processor obviously and I suppose my response to that is we're not we're not purists. We're not saying that all all information must be shared at all times and everyone must be able to have access to what you do. We are saying that there is lots of information that you hold as a funder that would be useful to other funders, to the sector more broadly and to yourselves if you could see it layered with, with other data sets and we can help you open that up in ways that makes it more accessible and that benefit the whole sector. That's not to say... That we think you should be sharing every kind of grant, if you think that there's personal data in there. Um, if you're funding women's refuges, obviously you don't want to be putting the address and location of that refuge down. If you're funding controversial issues like LGBT rights organisations in Uganda, that are currently under you know, government pressure, again you might want to think carefully about what data you share and how. And we do give advice on that, but. It's interesting i think i think it's actually a really good timing to have this conversation linked to gdpr and and a general kind of push towards transparency and openness because it makes people think about what data they collect and why and how they're sharing it because actually you might find that some organizations have been collecting quite a lot of information and 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 storing on systems that lots of people have access to and they haven't thought about how long they keep that data for who has access to it where it's stored, if it's secure. So it's making them think about that work more broadly as they think about sharing their data in the 360 giving standard format. So we've we've found a nice knock-on benefit from our work is that organisations often use it as an opportunity to refresh, looking at their data systems and what they collect and how they share that. So there's there's been a nice kind of benefit there um, to kind of thinking perhaps more holistically about information collection and sharing within their organisation and, and consistency of message. So actually, if you've got data on your website and you're also showing it in the 360 giving standard and you're reporting to the charity commission and to Companies House and perhaps another body, that you're thinking more consistently about when and how you do that so that, you're, that, that the message is clear and the data is accurate and and the quality is, is better. But I do think um, going forward that we probably will have to think carefully about um, Mm. personal data, particularly the right to be forgotten. Obviously people have have the opportunity to ask for that now um, under GDPR. And we have had some cases where funders have shared personal data on grants to individuals, but that's because they've got permission to do that. So they're doing that in a very informed way. So when the grant is made, the individual is giving permission for that data to be shared already. So it's not to say you can't share this information. You just need to make sure you've got permission to do so and that you're doing that in a way that's consistent and appropriate you know, throughout all the difficult platforms where you share data.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's it. In the future, we're all just going to have to become a lot more savvy about those kinds of questions rather than just stopping doing anything.
1: Yeah, and quite rightly. But the, the default doesn't always have to be, well, that's someone's name, so we can't share it. Actually, some people are quite happy to have that that data shared. As long as that's done in informed consent, that's the point. But I think that does touch on a slightly wider, for me there's a power dynamic that's quite interesting as well. So if a funder asks if they can do something and there's money linked to it, I think there's something also about informed consent that takes into account um, who's asking and when they're asking that question. So you can ask that question in a way that says this will not impact whether or not you receive the funding. For example, so it's about when and how that question is asked about data sharing, and, and and if that person is doing it in a truly informed way.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, I guess there's a question about whether that's a genuinely free decision. If, as you say, there's either an explicit or implicit sense that money may or may not follow along with with the decision to open up data. But yeah, and we've
1: seen some great examples of that. Yeah, there are organisations that do that in a very thoughtful way. When and how they ask, how that's worded. that really is truly informed consent and they've been doing that for their own purposes for a long time collecting that and sharing that data but in some cases it's not always appropriate to share all grants or all information around that grant and you can redact that data so we've also got interesting examples of um, you know the Wilson Foundation provides a lot of funding to academics and it's essentially paying for salaries and universities for research uh, work and it might be that they say this grant was given to this department to fund this work, but it, it may redact some of the key information items as it's salary information. But it's still useful information to say we're funding this organisation or this project or this institution. There are ways you can get around sharing data that's still useful, but redact perhaps some of the, the personal data from it.
0: Well, I'll leave it there because I'm aware that I've taken up uh, plenty of time. We're in danger of running along. But I just wanted to say thanks so much for taking the time to, to come on the podcast, Rachel. I'm a big fan of what you're doing at 360 Giving, and I will obviously continue to, to keep an eye on it. And, uh, you know, I hope it continues to go from strength to strength.
1: Thanks, Audrey. Thanks for having me on. And if anyone wants to come and speak to us about sharing their data, they can send us an email and we're very happy to hear from them.
0: Of course, and I'll put some details in the show notes for the podcast for anybody who, who does want to, to follow up on that kind of thing.
1: Great, thank you.
0: Great. Well, thanks again to Rachel for taking the time to come on the podcast. Um I really enjoyed having a chat about that. I thought it was fascinating, um, and I think the work she's been doing and the wider team at 360 giving um, is really great Um, and I do encourage everybody to go and check out their website to find out more and I'll put a link to to that in the show notes Um, and other than that um, it just remains to say if you want to know more about the work I've been doing on technology um, check out the giving thought uh, section of the CAF website or even our specific future good uh, project that kind of brings together all of our tech work Uh, follow me on twitter where i endlessly bang on about this kind of thing at Rodri underscore h underscore davis Um, and if you've got any suggestions or ideas for topics or themes we could cover on the show or people we could interview uh, drop me an email at uh, givingthought at cafonline.org that's pretty slick wasn't it Um, and other than that it just remains to say like subscribe tell all your friends about this podcast uh, and i'll see you next time bye